Well, if you uh, have your Bibles, if you will join me in Acts chapter 23 is uh, where we are this morning. And in just a couple weeks, we will have wrapped up walking through this incredible book that God has gifted us, the book of Acts. And uh, I just want to thank Cal and Madeline again so much that, uh, that they would spend one of their last Sundays here with us. And so we love y'all and we are praying for you. We're with you. And uh, just so encouraged by the heart of going. And uh, so as you're turning there, Acts chapter 23 is where we will be. And as you're turning there, I want to share a word that, that is sure not to stir up uh, joy in your life. A word that is sure not to uh, excite you. A, a word that is sure not to give you warm and fuzzies inside. A word that I am certain when I say it, all of us will say, I despise that word, all right? And so the word is, y'all don't want to know the word, right? We'll just, we'll, just, we'll just jump in here. The word is wait. Isn't it the worst? Wait. Wait, wait is a word that, that um, I'm thinking all of us despise, Wait is a word that they have created rooms that are named after that word. <laughs> Waiting rooms. You go to a doctor and you wait. You go get your car worked on and you wait. You call an insurance company or you call your cable company or you call whatever company it is that you call and you will probably hear an automated voice, automated voice that says... Please wait while we connect you with our next available representative. Waiting is what we're, we all can relate to. And we wait for different things. We wait for test results. Um, I remember even as a, as a, a young adult uh, longing for uh, that the Lord would, would bring me my bride. And so like waiting for that time or waiting to hear back from a job interview uh, many of you know that we are in the process of, of adoption, and uh, it's very possible he's going to get to come home this week. Uh, very possible, but this whole time we're waiting. Like there's nothing that we can do or we feel like we can do other than wait. And so the encouragement that we will see in the text today is that while we wait, God is always working. He's always working. And that oftentimes when we are waiting, we feel like we're wasting time. That there's so many other things we could be doing right now if only this thing that I'm waiting on would, would happen or come to pass or, or whatever it is. Like there's so, much, so many more things I need to be doing. But, 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 but the encouragement that we will see in this text is that God never wastes a moment. I want you to think about that. He never wastes a moment. Sometimes we can relate or equate waiting to wasting, but rather God never wastes a moment. He's always working. He's always working. He's always orchestrating. He's always directing. He's always purposing. He's always guiding. He's always bringing about and working around and through circumstances that will ultimately accomplish his purposes and his will for our good and for his glory. Uh, Jesus said this over in John 5, 17. 
Jesus said, my father is working until now and I am working. And this, this, this biblical truth that even when we can't see it or even if we don't feel like it, that God is always at work. He's always working, even if we don't feel like it, even if we sense or feel that God seems distant or inactive or possibly even uninterested in our worlds, we know that he is working. And that's what we've seen all through the book of Acts is we have seen God at work every, through every verse. Every verse, God is at work. And so in the text that we're going to be in today, I just want to give a little bit of context before we just jump right into it. Paul has wrapped up his third missionary journey and he has finally made it to Jerusalem. All along the way, even the church warned him, don't go, Paul, don't go, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't you know what's awaiting you? Um, when he was in Caesarea before making it over into Jerusalem, Agabus, a prophet came down and visited him, took his belt, wrapped up his feet, wrapped up his hands and said, Paul, this is what's waiting for you. Even Dr. Luke, his partner in ministry was there and they were encouraging him, don't go. Don't go, don't you know that, don't you know what's waiting? But for Paul, every warning he heard was not don't go. He heard prepare, prepare, prepare. And so Paul makes it to Jerusalem. He makes it onto the Temple Mount. And almost instantly, he is identified by some Jews from Ephesus who happen to be there. And they recognize him and they scream, get him. And they get him and they are going to kill him. The Bible tells us they were being instruction, giving instructions to shut the gate so Paul's blood wouldn't spill into other areas of the court. And so as they are about to carry out a, a, a death sentence on the spot, there's a guy named Claudius Lysias who is a Roman tribune. He's, he's, he's kind of like the, the Roman official that makes sure everything stays under control in the Temple Mount. And so Antonius Fortress is this Roman outpost that sits right on the corner of the temple. And so no doubt he sees the mob scene that's going on and he sweeps in with his men and he rescues Paul. This Roman tribune, not sure what's going on, he rescues Paul and, and Paul appeals to him and says, Hey, can, can, I speak to these, can I speak to these people? And the Roman tribune allows him to speak. But when Paul speaks, he speaks in Hebrew. This is a, a language that... That the tribune doesn't recognize, but all of those on the Temple Mount would. And so he speaks, and what he does is he shares his testimony. And he shares how Christ has changed his life, how he was once like them, and how, how that, that Damascus Road experience where he repented of his sin, trusted Jesus, and how Christ had commanded him to go to the Gentiles. And when they heard him say the word Gentiles, the religious mob absolutely lost their minds. And so in that moment, the Roman tribune sniffs out, this is a, not a good situation. And so they pull Paul into the barracks. But when they do, this Roman tribune is like, I've got to find out what's going on. And so they take Paul and they strap him. And through, the, uh, through, the, 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 through, through torture, they were going to flog him. And so just as they were having him wrapped up and they're about to flog him, Paul tells them he's a Roman citizen. And you don't flog or carry out torture on a Roman citizen who has not been convicted or has not been condemned. And as soon as Paul said that, they stopped immediately. And you almost see this Roman tribune acting the complete opposite. But this Roman tribune still needs to find out what is going on. Why does everybody want this man dead? What's going on? And so what he then does is he calls an unofficial meeting of the Jewish 
uh, Supreme Court, which is known as the Sanhedrin. And he brings them in. And it isn't long that in that setting, again, a mob scene breaks out. And because they think they are going to literally pull Paul apart, they bring him back into the barracks. And so Paul, on, on that evening in those barracks, that I can only imagine the discouragement that he must have felt. And I can only imagine the, 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 the range of emotions. Have you all been there? You've kind of maybe had moments of doubt. And you're like, is this really what, is this really what I'm supposed to be in? Is this really? Maybe those, maybe those, maybe Agabus was right. Or maybe like, maybe I shouldn't be here. And you just think about all those doubts that circle in our minds when things aren't going well. But I love what Jesus says in verse 11 of Acts 23 is that God sees, God knows, God cares. And the following night, verse 11 says, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Paul's heart was to go to Rome. He longed to go to Rome. He is certain, no doubt, that his days were numbered and that he probably wouldn't get there, but the Lord sees and knows and cares. And that word, take courage, means cheer up. Cheer up. You've testified here, you will testify in Rome. And if, if from Acts 23, if, you, if we were like a camera and we're zooming in right now, but if we were to zoom out and you were to go back to the start of Acts, in Acts 1-8, Jesus told his disciples... He said, my Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the gospel started going out there in Jerusalem and by Acts chapter 23, where we're at, it's the fulfillment of what Christ said was going to happen. And they couldn't have scripted it and they couldn't have written it the way God would have written it. But what's happening is, is Christ's promise is being fulfilled and it's going to happen through Paul and it's going to happen by going to the ends of the known world that time to Rome. And so what we're going to see in this text are several things, because I can only imagine that Paul felt limited. I would imagine there are times Paul felt stuck, but yet deep in his heart, he had this resolve that the Lord had told him and promised him what was going to happen. So what do we do in the waiting what does Paul do in the waiting? And we're going to see a couple truths. We're going to see them all through the text. But one is that in the waiting, faith believes even when I can't see. That faith seizes opportunities. In other words, faith is not like a fatalistic approach. Like I'm just going to sit back and what's going to happen is going to happen. And curl up in a ball and just want it to all, just hope it all goes away. But rather Paul is going to, we're going to see him seize moments that come his way. And we're also going to see how faith trusts in God's timing. And so let's look at the text, verse 12 of Acts 23. The Bible says this. It says, the next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and they bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. And they went to the chief priest and the elders and said, we've taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. Verse 16, and I love this. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of the plot, 
he went into the barracks and told Paul. And then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. And so he took him to the commander. This is so encouraging. Not the part so much about these, uh, this radical terrorist group that has uh, committed themselves not to eat or drink until they kill Paul, but rather what happens in verse 16. I want you to listen to this. This is a, and it just so happens verse. And there's lots of them in the Bible. I love the, and it just so happens verses. Because listen to what happens in verse 16. This plot is being uh, set out to kill Paul. Verse 16, but when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and he told Paul. I love that verse. It just so happens. We don't know a lot about Paul's family, but we know he at least had one sister and we know he at least had one nephew and that this one nephew was at the right place at the right time. And it's called the providence of God. It just so happens that as man is trying to work his scheme in order to end the mission and end Paul's life, you see that it just so happens that Paul's nephew happens to overhear the whole thing. And because Paul is in protective custody, he is able to get to Paul to tell him what's going on. And this brother is able to get there. And what happens is that this just so happens moment that this brother sets in motion the events that are going to help take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul was in a posture of faith. Paul had no other options. All Paul could see was prison walls. And yet faith understands and believes that God is working outside of what we can see. That all the while that Paul is in this posture of faith, God, you've told me I'm going to Rome. I believe it in my heart, but I don't see how this is happening. Rather, God is working in and through and around circumstances. That Paul was resting in the fact of Proverbs 21, 30, which says, No wisdom, no understanding, and no counsel can avail against the Lord. That perhaps the, the words of Paul would be ringing in his ears, Job 42, 2, where Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And so what I'm not trying to do is try to make our lives apples and apples with Paul. But what I am saying is that there is a principle at play. And that principle at play is that when we feel like we are in a four-walled room, and we feel helpless, we feel hopeless, and we don't really know what's going to happen. We can have a confidence that God is always at work. And he's always at work in ways that we might not necessarily see or even know is happening. But it just so happens that Paul's nephew is overhearing a conversation that is going to help move the gospel mission forward. And so what happens is Paul has favor in the eyes of the Roman Tribune. We mentioned it. He almost messed up really, really bad. And so he's in tune with Paul and Paul sends his nephew and the tribune has a conversation. Let's jump to verse 23. The Bible says that he, this is Claudius Lysias, the Roman tribune. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them to get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. 
provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to the governor, Felix. I want you to think about that. Paul is one guy. And, and, and he, he is guilty of nothing at this point. But yet, Claudius Lysias says, I am going to prepare 470 men to guide Paul to Caesarea. Paul could have never imagined. He could have never seen that. He could have never scripted that. But yet God works in amazing ways, doesn't he? And so how is Paul going to get to Rome? How about a 470 man protection agency that's going to help you get there? And that's exactly what happens. And so as he is walking and he's headed that way, it happens at night. It happens at night. A lot of, st- a lot of times things seem to happen at night. And this is not unique for Paul. In Damascus, he was lowered in a basket at night. When he was over in Thessalonica and things got crazy there, he traveled by night. Here it is again. Night has fallen and it's time to go. And so down in verse 25, Claudius is going to write a letter. And he wrote a letter as follows. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him. But I came with my troops and rescued him, for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, and so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once, and I also ordered his accusers to be present to you to, to present to you their case against him. So if, if Governor Felix is reading this letter, man, it reads like Claudius is like a hero, doesn't it? I mean, he rescued Paul. Like, wow, like, wow, what a great job when like he failed to leave out the part about how he had him strapped and was about to torture him. It's amazing how conveniently important facts can be left out when people try to make themselves look way better. And this is what's happening. And so now this letter makes it to, uh, to the governor, Governor Felix. So Governor Felix now is the most powerful man in Judea. He is the governor. He followed another governor by the name of Pontius Pilate. It's important for us to remember that, that it was certain that, that, that for this governor, he would have been aware of the crucifixion of Jesus He would have been aware of the resurrection of Jesus. He would have been aware of how followers of the way would be taking the gospel through that land. But here's what I love. We must remember that God is always at work and he's working while we're waiting. And all of this is going to serve to ultimately fulfill the purpose of the good news of Jesus getting to the ends of the earth. And so Felix places Paul under protective custody while they wait five days later the high priest Ananias makes it to town and he is a wicked man. He's a wicked, twisted man. He's got elders with him and he has a lawyer with him as well. There's no concrete charge, just accusation. And so here he comes, verse five. Let's see what the, what Tortullus, the lawyer says. After he butters up Felix, tells him how amazing he is. Here's what he says in verse five. We have found this man to be a troublemaker. Stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, which is not a compliment. 
and even tried to desecrate the temple. And so we seized him. And by examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges that we are bringing against him. And the other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. So the accusations come. And one of the the encouragements that we see what faith does in the waiting is that faith seizes every opportunity. It may appear that Paul has no options. It may appear that Paul is stuck. It may appear that there's no way that 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 that, that, that like Paul is going to make it out of Caesarea, but rather he seizes every moment he has as believers as we walk through our day. May we be sensitive to see every single moment that the Lord would desire to use us to speak into somebody's life, to meet a need, to be sensitive. You never know how he's working. But Paul doesn't curl up in a fetal position, suck his thumb and hope it all goes away. Rather, he, 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 is, he is engaged in the opportunity and he's full on. Verse 10, Paul says this, when the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years that you have been a judge over this nation. So I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogue or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges that they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. Verse 18, I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges that they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime that they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead and that I am on trial before you today. And then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. Now, a lot happened right there. But what we see is that Paul sees this moment And when he sees this moment, he did two things. He stood on truth and he pointed the conversation to God. He spoke of God. He spoke of Christ. This great principle in the text is that in Paul's journey of requiring faith, faith is believing even even when you can't see. And he sees this opportunity and he seizes this moment. And, And what I can't help but think is that the flesh side of us sometimes... It just seems so far-fetched. It seems so difficult. I mean, maybe, maybe just give up. I wonder if Paul ever had moments where it's just like, you know what? I give up. I give up. Like, it seems like every single next step is another brick wall. But God is working. And he's working in the midst of this broken way. And here is Felix, who is very 
very aware of what people of the way believe. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And now Paul finds himself in front of the most powerful man in all of Judea. And under protective custody, he is now having ongoing conversations with the governor and his wife. Look at verse 24. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. And as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave, and when I find it convenient, I will send for you. Paul seizes the moment. We have moments all around us. We have moments uh, here. We have moments as we go about our day. Uh, We have no idea that when we feel like we're in a holding pattern or we feel like we're waiting that God desires to work in and through our lives, perhaps through a conversation, perhaps through somebody at the checkout line at Walmart, perhaps somebody as you drive and you see that they've had a flat tire on the side of the road, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps there's all these situations that what may seem like a random occurrence could be an opportunity to share the love of Jesus in a practical way to a person who desperately needs Jesus. So Paul, all along the way, he's being faithful. He's being faithful with every moment. He's being faithful with every conversation. And here he is with Felix, and he continues to be faithful with those opportunities. So in the waiting, Paul is believing even when he can't see. He's seizing every opportunity he has. But this last one can be very challenging because faith trusts God's timing. I want you to think about how hard it must be to hear these words from the most powerful man in the land. And that is this, found in the end of verse 25. Felix says this, that's enough for now. You may leave when I find it convenient. I will send for you. Like, this guy has all kinds of power. He has all kinds of authority. He has this authority or what seems like authority over Paul's life. So Paul's future seems to hang in the balance of what this guy in a powerful position may choose to do when he wants to do it. But the reality is, is that God is sovereign and he is mighty and he is powerful and he's overall. And this specific conversation that Paul has, he speaks about righteousness. This governor Felix, he has a, he has a pretty wild past and would take no time to convince him how his life has not been lived out in righteousness. He speaks of self-control. If you look at his relational tensions and issues between him and his bride, that there was a lack of self-control. And so Paul speaks to that. And he also says about the judgment to come. And I think that's interesting because here's the most powerful man in that region. And, and yet he's telling the ruler that one day you will be ruled. And one day you're going to be judged, that there's a greater judgment that comes. And when that happens, the Bible says that Felix became afraid. That's enough for now, he says. You may leave, and when I find it convenient, I will send for you. But we can trust God's timing. God's timing's perfect. Paul doesn't know it yet, but he's going to endure three trials over the course of two years in Caesarea before he ever makes it to Rome. And verse 27 says this. 
When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. There was another, another opportunity for Paul to be discouraged. If there was never opportunity for Paul to be like, but, but, I thought, but I thought I was going to Rome like God said I was going to Rome, but I'm not like, I'm just sitting around now. There's a new governor. I like he just kind of feels like he's a product of the circumstance, uh, circumstances. But the encouragement is this, is no plan or scheme of man can thwart the plan of God. And so wherever you are in the waiting, be encouraged. It's that God is faithful and he will be faithful to work in and through and around circumstances that bring him glory. This is why in Romans 8, Paul could say that I know he works all things together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purposes because he can work all things for good. One of my mentors encouraged me in a very practical way discipling me. He, he, he says this, he says, and I've shared this before, I believe, but he said, whatever you find yourself in, whether it's a struggle or it's a waiting or it's circumstances out of your control, pray like this, God, I thank you in advance as if you've already worked all of this out for my good and for your glory because of what your word says. So thanking God in advance for how he is going to work and move. And so again, I shared very, very difficult to, to put ourselves in the shoes of Paul. Um, but yet what we see is the principle and the character and the truth of God that has stayed constant for all eternity and continues to stay constant. And so brother, sister, family of God, wherever you are, and whatever you're waiting on, if you feel like things are out of your control, if you feel like hope is slipping through your hands, if you feel like all you can see is four walls around you, can I encourage you? And may we all be encouraged that God is at work. And God is at work. And we don't know because we maybe can't see it, but there could be a just, it just so happens conversation that's going to change the whole thing. And not only that, but we seize moments as they come. God will be faithful to put opportunities in front of us. And then by his grace, his conviction, his strength, we follow through. We don't sit back with a fatalistic approach and just say, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And, and just like, I just hope it all blows over. No, rather like being engaged with every opportunity, eyes wide open, sensitive and yielded to God. How do you, how do you want to work in and through my life today? I feel like I'm in a holding pattern. I feel like I'm waiting. I don't know what all is going to happen, but I know right now, I know that God never wastes a second. And so God, by your grace, show me where you're at work. Show me what you're calling me to do. Give me the strength to be obedient and follow through. And, and God, I have my timetable and, 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 and I realize that my timetable looks way different than your timetable. And that your ways are far above my ways. And so I'm going to trust you with the timing. And through it all, I'm going to trust that you will be faithful every step of the way. Because he is faithful. I want to leave with this thought. Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus gathered with his apostles there on the side of that mountainside. And he says, listen. Listen, my Holy Spirit is going to empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I want you to go to that upper room and I want you to wait. 
And in a prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit fell as the prayers went up. And from that moment on, you see the fulfillment of exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. And what we are able to be a part of as the local church is that we now are a part of that active work of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. We can be encouraged by the testimony of Cal and Madeline, a couple who has a job at NASA, school teacher, young family, but yet they know and are certain of God's calling on their life to engage in the mission. And so it's worth forsaking everything to follow God's call on your life. And so it could look like that. And it could also look like one of my prayers is that it could be that there's somebody in the room, somebody listening in online, like God is, like there is a vocational calling to ministry that you are wrestling with and praying through. And you don't know what it all looks like. You're almost scared to say something out loud because then what would people say and then all that. But, but, but it could be that, that God's plan for you is to engage in a vocational way of ministry. It could be that whatever your marketplace job is, is that that's not just a marketplace job. Like you're at a, a place for such a time as this, whatever that looks like, whether that's a lawyer or whether that's a school teacher, or whether that's a stay at home mom, or whether that is a electrical worker or whatever that is like, God wants to work in and through your life. And there is no moment that is wasted in the economy of God. And so may we be faithful, faithful because he is faithful. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for this example of your faithfulness and your trustworthiness. Thank you for this living, breathing example of a brother who had all kinds of opportunities to be discouraged, all kinds of opportunities to think it was the end of the road, all kinds of opportunities to throw his hands up. But yet, God, you see him, you know him, you love him, and you stood by him and you spoke your promise into his life is that this gospel, he had been faithful to testify and he will go to Rome. And what God says, we can bank on it a hundred percent. And so father, I pray that you would find us as a local faith family, that though we may be in the waiting, that we know that waiting is not wasting. And that if it hasn't come to pass yet, that must just mean that you are preparing. And so God, may we live with eyes wide open sensitive to your Holy Spirit, trusting you with what we can't see, trusting you with what we don't understand, seizing every moment we have to stand on truth and share your love practically with a world that desperately needs it. And God, that we would find ourselves resting in your time, in your time. And God, I pray, I'm reminded of what, what was the message? What was the purpose? It was to be a witness of Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of God, that God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That God came, clothed in flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life, a life that we could never, ever live. And He was crucified on a cross 
for our sin, to pay the price for our sin debt. He paid. And they placed him in a tomb. And on the third day, he gloriously resurrected from the dead, proving that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. That he is the only one who has the power to forgive sin and to make peace with God. And so I pray that if there's anyone here, anyone listening in who is living apart from a relationship with God, that today would be the day of salvation. God, I pray, work and move and find our hearts yielded to you in every way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. And as we have the time of response, just encourage you. If you would like someone to pray over you, we would love to pray over you. If you want to come to the altar and pray, please come to the altar and pray. If there's any way we can minister to you through this time, but let's just be sensitive to however the Lord wants to work in this time.